Have you ever felt a visceral attraction to a politician? There is not a liberal America and a conservative America. There is the United States of America. I am your voice. Ask yourself if they're really telling the truth. This is a secret innuendo being leaked out there about me. I was honestly concerned that he might lie about the nature of our meeting. This is Subliminally Correct, a bi-weekly podcast where we examine all the ways politicians and newsmakers are using psychological tactics to influence you every single day. And now, join myself, Taylor Sherman, certified hypnosis instructor and executive coach, along with my co-host, Alex Dobranek, political consultant and certified consulting hypnotist, on this episode of Subliminally Correct. And welcome to another episode of Subliminally Correct. What do we have up for today, Alex? Now, this week, we have an episode all about Michael Cohen. And now you might remember about a week ago, he went in front of the House Oversight and Reform Committee to talk all about Donald Trump, and he didn't have very nice things to say about him. Now, as you can imagine, we have you know quite a fiery hearing set up here between the Democrats on one, on one side, trying to talk about you know all the ways that Michael Cohen knew the shady dealings that Donald Trump was doing. They want to defend him even though he's admitted that he lied in front of Congress before. Now, the Republicans, they really want to shame him and connect him to all those dirty deeds of the past and make him look like a discredited witness who, you know, is just a liar and you can't believe a word that he's saying. So it's really interesting. It's a great battle that you have set up here, not to dramatize it any more than it already has been, but you can sort of see the different persuasion techniques that come into play as both sides try to grandstand and persuade and really get their moment in the sun and perhaps get the truth out of Michael Cohen. So we're going to start off not with Michael Cohen, but actually Representative Jordan, who is the ranking member on the committee. He'll be talking about why we might not want to listen to Michael Cohen. Mr. Jordan is recognized for his opening statement. Mr. Chairman, here we go. Here we go. Your first big hearing, your first announced witness, Michael Cohen. I want everyone in this room to think about this. The first announced witness for the 116th Congress is a guy who is going to prison in two months for lying to Congress. Mr. Chairman, your chairmanship will always be identified with this hearing. And we all need to understand what this is. This is the Michael Cohen hearing presented by Lanny Davis. That's right. Lanny Davis choreographed the whole darn thing. The Clinton's best friend, loyalist, operative, Lanny Davis put this all together. You know how we know? He told our staff. He told the committee staff. He said the hearing was his idea. He selected this committee. He had to talk Michael Cohen into coming. And most importantly, he had to persuade the chairman to actually have it. He told us it took two months to get that job done. But here we are. He talked him into it. This might be the first time someone convicted of lying to Congress has appeared again so quickly in front of Congress. Certainly, it's the first time a convicted perjurer has been brought back to be a star witness in a hearing. And there's a reason this is the first, because no other committee would do it. Think about this. With Mr. Cohen here, this committee, 
We got lots of lawyers on this committee. This committee is actually encouraging a witness to violate attorney-client privilege. Mr. Chairman, when we legitimize dishonesty, we delegitimize this institution. We're supposed to pursue the truth, but you have stacked the deck against the truth. We're only allowed to ask certain questions. Even with that amendment you just told us about, well, Russ is now on the table. You initially told us we can't ask questions about the special counsel, can't ask questions about the Southern District of New York, can't ask questions about Russia. Nope. Nope. Only subjects we can talk about are ones you think are going to be harmful to the President of the United States. And the answers to those questions are going to come from a guy who can't be trusted. Here's what the U.S. Attorney said about Mr. Cohen. While Mr. Cohen enjoyed a privileged life, his desire for ever greater wealth and influence precipitated an extensive course of criminal conduct. Mr. Cohen committed four, four distinct federal crimes over a period of several years. He was motivated to do so by personal greed and repeatedly, repeatedly used his power and influence for deceptive ends. But the Democrats don't care. They don't care. They just want to use you, Mr. Cohen. You're their patsy today. They got to find somebody, somewhere, to say something so they can try to remove the president from office. Because Tom Steyer told him to. Tom Steyer, last week, organized a town hall. Guess where? Chairman Nadler's district in Manhattan. Two nights ago, Tom Steyer organized a town hall. Guess where? Chairman Cummings' district in Baltimore. The best they can find, the best they can find to start this process, Michael Cohen. Fraudster, a cheat, convicted felon, and in two months, a federal inmate. Well, actually, they didn't find him. Lanny Davis found him. I'll say one thing about the Democrats. They stick to the playbook. Remember, remember how all this started. The Clinton campaign hired Perkins Coie Law Firm, who hired Glenn Simpson, who hired a foreigner, Christopher Steele, who put together the fake dossier that the FBI used to go get a warrant to spy on the Trump campaign. But when that whole scheme failed and the American people said, we're going to make Donald Trump president, they said, we got to do something else. So now Clinton loyalist, Clinton operative Lanny Davis has persuaded the chairman of the oversight committee to give a convicted felon a forum to tell stories and lie about the President of the United States so they can all start their impeachment process. Mr. Chairman, we are better than this. We are better than this. I yield back. So now Jordan really starts out here with these big ad hominem attacks, right? He starts out by characterizing, you know, him as a liar, as he's lied about all these other things. So how can we trust him now? You know, conveniently leaving out that he lied in order to, you know, defend their party, but uh, lied nonetheless. And he builds this into this um, narrative that this reflects badly on the committee and badly on us as a nation, and that we are better than this. Sort of taking what you didn't hear was uh, Cummings in his opening statement talked about how we are better than this. And so he sort of takes that language and co-ops it and really starts talking about, you know, we are better than Michael Cohen than having this terrible convicted perjurer right in front of us. He doesn't attack anything that Cohen actually said or is going to say. 
but uh, really gets at him as this is a bad person and you shouldn't trust him and really taints your picture of him right out the gate. Yeah, and he's starting off really framing the whole situation in terms of how he views even Cohen's questioning, you know, in front of the committee. And, you know, he says, here we go. The first announced witness is a guy who is going to prison for lying to this committee. You know, and then he frames the whole thing of saying, hey, Mr. Chairman, your chairmanship will be represented by this. You know, when we legitimize dishonesty, we did delegitimize this institution. And it's really all very persuasive because who actually says that they are legitimizing dishonesty by actually hearing what, you know, Michael Cohen has to say. But this has been a big talking point throughout all of Cohen's testimony is that some of the definitely more of the Republican members are going to be talking about how Cohen shouldn't be there and that even hearing from him is, you know, a bad thing or a, uh, a crime against, um, you know, some some justice that's that's actually there. So what we hear here from Representative Jordan is that he's really starting to frame this whole thing almost as though he is a you know commentator on a news network. Uh, you know, he throws out all of these different names. You know, he talks about Lanny Davis and Tom Steyer and he, he talks about all of these different people and kind of weaves in this very elaborate conspiracy that is happening, um, talking about how Democrats stick to the playbook um, and we can only talk about things that will you know, damage the president of the United States. Um, he really starts off this whole thing saying, hey, this is what I would like to let known about my disagreement with this. And this is something you'll oftentimes see when you have a minority, you know, in, in a body, whether it's the Senate or the House, they'll start off by protesting the fact that they actually have rules. So it's certainly not Republicans only who are doing this. The Democrats did the same thing, you know, when they're not allowed to, to speak, they will instead talk against, you know, the, the rules which we've heard before. Right. One of the big things here is that guilty by association that Taylor brought up. Uh, so right here, he talks about, you know, how Lanny Davis, uh, Cohen's attorney, um, brought Cohen here and convinced the chairman or, you know, what have you, but uh, really emphasizes Lanny Davis, Lanny Davis. And of course, Lanny Davis was the old sort of like Clinton Democratic attorney um, and talks about like how he's a bad person. And so, therefore, anybody who works with this bad person is also bad. And he brings in uh, Bill and Hillary Clinton and the Democrats and how this is, you know, a partisan witness. And then also links in Tom Steyer, who is that billionaire who's trying to, you know, lead that impeachment campaign against Donald Trump. So linking Tom Steyer, who, you know, really just doesn't much have a place in this hearing right now. Um, he just says it anyway and starts bringing in Tom Steyer and linking that impeachment campaign to Michael Cohen. And you can hear that that almost uh, conspiracy theory like guilty by association where he just starts linking them in this cadence of this organization hired this person who hired this person who hired this person who hired this. And now we're here. And, you know, once you start following that logic, things start falling apart. But, you know, it sounds really good. And to somebody who is open to hearing that message, they're going to be inclined to just believe it because this is coming from a trusted messenger who sounds very certain of what he's saying. Um, and what he also does to back up that certainty 
is bringing in what other people have said about Cohen. So instead of necessarily saying what he thinks about Cohen, he starts quoting other people and things that they've said about him and things that they've said about what presumably he's going to be talking about. And so it's really interesting to sort of see that he's sort of building that pyramid to to inoculate the listener against what they're going to be hearing from Cohen and from the Democrats. So now we're going to hear from Michael Cohen and what he has to say about his experience with Donald Trump. I am here under oath to correct the record, to answer the committee's questions truthfully, and to offer the American people what I know about President Trump. I recognize that some of you may doubt and attack me on my credibility. It is for this reason that I have incorporated into this opening statement documents that are irrefutable and demonstrate that the information you will hear is accurate and truthful. Never in a million years did I imagine when I accepted a job in 2007 to work for Donald Trump, that he would one day run for the presidency, to launch a campaign on a platform of hate and intolerance, and actively win. I regret the day I said yes to Mr. Trump. I regret all the help and support I gave him along the way. I am ashamed of my own failings and publicly accepted responsibility for them by pleading guilty in the Southern District of New York. I am ashamed of my weakness and my misplaced loyalty, of the things I did for Mr. Trump in an effort to protect and promote him. I am ashamed that I chose to take part in concealing Mr. Trump's illicit acts rather than listening to my own conscience. I am ashamed because I know what Mr. Trump is. He is a racist, he is a con man, and he is a cheat. As the many people that know me best would say, I am the person that they call at 3 a.m. if they needed help. And I proudly remember being the emergency contact for many of my children's friends when they were growing up because their parents knew that I would drop everything and care for them as if they were my own. Yet last fall, I pled guilty in federal court to felonies for the benefit of, at the direction of, and in coordination with individual number one. And for the record, individual number one is President Donald J. Trump. So we've heard how Representative Jordan begins to frame his ideas in this uh, hearing. And now we're hearing how Michael Cohen is actually starting to frame what he wants you to believe about himself. So he's ashamed. He is remorseful. He is um, being able to say, hey, I did something wrong. I did something you know, incorrectly. Um, and he repeats again and again, I'm ashamed, I'm ashamed, I'm ashamed. But then at some point, he switches his focus to talking about himself and his own wrongdoing to talking about President Trump. It's as if he's saying, hey, I'm, I'm bad, you know, but tre- President Trump is worse because he launched a campaign on hate and intolerance. Uh, that Michael Cohen had a misplaced loyalty to him, that he was concealing Trump's illicit acts. And he talks about all of what he is. And then 
Cohen starts to frame himself and say, well, this is who I actually am. You know, people will call me at 3 a.m. I'm the emergency contact. I'm this, you know, kind of person. And then he goes back to attacking Trump once again. So this is part of his playbook. And one of the reasons you know that this is how he wants to frame it is this is his opening statement. So this has been well prepared. This is something that he and his lawyers had gone back and forth with. They certainly thought about how is it that he wants to be interpreted. And this is how he wants to be interpreted. This is his message. Hey, I did something wrong, but President Trump is even worse. And the fact that I was there, well... That means that he's even worse because he hired the li- the liar. This is what he wants for us to get right at the very beginning of his testimony. Right. And think about the strategy behind all of this. He's not a very sympathetic witness. He's not somebody that, you know, is the greatest of character. He's not a very nice person, certainly. And later on in the hearing, you'll hear about maybe his temper that he has as well. But um, his goal here is to make himself as sympathetic as possible. So he does that with those uh, those sort of leading stories about how people call him at 3 a.m. and his kids and his family and all of that. And just listen to the tone of voice, right? His tone here is as deferential as he can be sort of laying all the cards on the table, trying to present himself for attacks, um, which he, you know, admits are certain to come. And this is sort of a tactic here for you to feel bad for this guy and feel as though, you know, you have some sort of empathy for him. Now, this is where the strategy comes into play. Cohen is playing sort of the vulnerable and meek, you know, person coming up to, you know, confess all of his sins. And then you've got the Republicans here who their goal is to, you know, uh, badger him to the point where he starts getting upset and angry and you sort of hear him lash out. And I want you to pay attention to that right there because when they can badger him to where he lashes out and loses his temper that's where the sympathy for michael cohen breaks down and so though a person watching is like no this person seems like an angry mean person i don't feel bad for him at all and that happens quite a number of times in this hearing and meanwhile you've got the democrats who need to be asking him these substantial questions but then also bringing it back to you know Michael Cohen is also somebody that you can sympathize with. Um, And so it's this interesting little dance uh, among the three parties here. Yeah, and it's amazing because it's almost like some of the Democrats chose one role and some of them chose another role. And, for example, one of the roles is just information gathering, just asking really, really fact-based questions that then can later on be used to rely upon um, some sort of public presentation or perhaps, you know, more things in the, in the justice system and in the legal system. Um, but there's also other ones who really made the point to frame the issue in a persuasive way. And that's an interesting point that you bring up, um, that they all seem to pick different roles in this whole thing. Because for people sitting at home, I know it looks like, you know, the individual Congress people are sort of asking their own self-thought-up questions, but they're not. Uh, you know, as somebody I've personally been in the room 
you know, deciding um, which congressperson is going to pick which questions and who's going to be asking what of whom. And they all meet ahead of time and agree who's going to be asking which questions and how, and then coming up with a strategy as a group for who's going to play what role. So it's really interesting that you brought that up because, you know, this may seem spontaneous. This may seem, you know, planned and and individual and separated. But, you know, in actuality, behind the scenes, they've coordinated this whole uh, thing in the back rooms before any of this has even happened. So now we're going to be hearing from one of the Democrats, Debbie Wasserman Schultz, and she's going to be talking about beginning with the Access Hollywood tape that we all, you know, have heard of now and know know about. Um, and then she's going to be going into some really persuasive ways of talking about Mr. Cohen and kind of framing his presentation, but in particular framing his opinion of President Trump. So let's go ahead and listen to this. Moving on to a little later in 2016, a major WikiLeaks dump happens hours after the Access Hollywood tape is released. Do you believe or are you aware of Mr. Trump coordinating or signaling for this email dump? I am unaware of that. I actually was not even in the country at the time of the Billy Bush um, tape. I was in London visiting my daughter. Knowing how Mr. Trump operates with his winning at all costs mentality, do you believe that he would cooperate or collude with a foreign power to win the presidency? Is, is he capable of that? It calls on so much speculation, ma'am. It's, it would be unfair for me to... I understand, but you have a that. tremendous amount of experience. Mr. Trump today. is all about winning. And and he will your, do what is necessary and in within your which opinion to win. And in your experience, would he have the potential to cooperate or collude with a foreign power to win the presidency at all costs. Yes. So Debbie here is really taking on the role of, you know, asking those questions to get to the substantive part of Cohen's testimony. She's asking for all of the dirt, but asking in a a really unique way. She's not asking for specifics. She's asking, well, what do you think? What might he do? Is he capable of this? Really open-ended questions that really allow for, you know, not just Cohen, but for the watcher of all of this to make up imaginary scenarios in their head that aren't really based in concrete fact, but sort of have that illusion of being based in fact, because you've got somebody who is very professional and has worked with him a lot sitting there saying, yes, this is possible. And she's asking questions that really are just persuasive. It's asking for his opinion. Now, what's funny about this is she's asking, you know, do you believe, you know, Trump would collude in a foreign power? And he rightly says that is speculative. I can't answer that question. That would be a lot of speculation. And she said, well, I understand but you have a lot of experience. And the truth is he doesn't have experience with speculating, right? That's not actual experience by definition. Experience are things that you have experience, not your projections into the future. Um, but she says, you know, but, you know, do you think he's going to do this? And then Cohen says, well, he's all about winning. And she said, yeah, but in your opinion and experience, do you think that it's possible? And what she's really asking for is his opinion, 
Okay, that's what she's actually, you know, trying to get to here. Um, But she's framing it as his experience as a way of suggesting that somehow he has a unique insight into what the president might or might not, you know, do. And so she's doing something called as if framing. You know, it's kind of like, hey, step into this and be in this world as if that were true. And if that were true, what would that then be? Which can be a very powerful device. The problem is in this particular line of questioning, it's kind of all made up. You know, he's saying something that he doesn't have to commit to. He's saying something that can't really be relied upon, but it does make a really good talking point on the, you know, uh, TV shows or radio shows, or as the Democrats are going to start talking about this, of, well, Cohen said that Trump could do it. Yeah, but in what situation did he say that? He was pushed to do that under congressional testimony. And he was, you know, led to that answer in a very kind of persuasive way. Yeah, this sort of as if framing is really powerful, especially in, you know, hypnotic work, right? This really, this line of questioning here really reminds me of a tactic that's really powerful. So, you know, if you were to ask somebody something um, and to imagine a scenario, for example, so um, tell me about, you know, what it would be like to not be a smoker anymore. And somebody comes back and says, I don't know what that would be like. I've never experienced that. You might come back to them and say, but if you did know, what would that look like? And even though you're literally asking the exact same thing over again, you're asking it with that as if framing. So now it asks the person to step into an imaginative world that provides one layer of separation between themselves and this experience and sort of provides a a protective barrier almost um, that they can be just a little bit more removed from the situation and disassociate a little bit more and enter a little bit more of an imaginative world where they can provide you with the answer that you really want while still being, you know, rooted in in fact and truth. It's it's really interesting here. Absolutely. And so now, now that we've heard kind of this, we've heard, okay, what is it like? What is it that, you know, Debbie Washerman Schultz has tried to to set up here with her, you know, framing. We're going to start to get into some of the more exciting parts of this hearing and really it is some of the republicans that are going to be talking about and questioning mr cohen and a couple of the conversations get quite heated so the next one we're going to be listening to is from mr gosar and it's really going to be very interesting in the way in which he just flat out accuses you know cohen and well it's not even really just an accusation because all of this has been proven then you know, that cohen lied to congress right that's that's something that's now proven and But he's just going to keep hitting on this point, hitting on this point, hitting on it again and again. And notice how there's really not that much emphasis here on any factual basis, any gathering of information. Instead, the whole point is just to make Cohen look like a bad guy. Um, so let's go ahead and take a listen to uh, this part. You want us to make sure that we think of you as a real philanthropic icon, that you're about justice, that you're the person that somebody would call at 3 o'clock in the morning. No, they wouldn't. Not at all. You saw Mr. Comer uh, dissect you. Right in front of this committee, you conflicted your testimony, sir. You're a pathological liar. 
You don't know truth from, from, from falsehood. Sir, so I'm sorry. Not, are you, you, know, are you referring to me or the president? Hey, this is my time. <laughs> are you referring when to I ask you, or the president? When I ask you a question, yes. I'll ask for an answer. Sure. Now, are you familiar with Rule 35 of the Federal Rules and Criminal Procedures? I am now. Oh. Hmm. So the committee understands that you've been in contact with the Southern District of New York. Is that true? I am in constant contact with the Southern District of New York regarding ongoing investigations. And part of that application is to reduce sentencing time, is it not? Yes. There is a possibility. Yes. The answer is yes. No, it's not, sir. Yes, it is. Okay. It it's is. not. And so testimony here could actually help you out in getting your sentence lessened. Isn't that true? I'm not really sure how my appearance here today is providing substantial information that the Southern District can use for the creation of a case. Now, if there is something that this group can do for me, I would gladly welcome it. Well, I, I, I got to tell you, you know, America's watching you. I've been getting texts right and left saying, how can anybody listen to this pathological person? He's got a problem. He doesn't know fact from fiction. And that's what's sad here, is, is that you didn't do this for Donald Trump, to protect Donald Trump. You did it for you. This is, all, no, this is all about you. This is all about this Twitter feed and, and, and you know, let me read one of those, another one. Women who love and support Michael Cohen, strong, pit bull, sex symbol, non, no nonsense, business oriented and ready to make a difference. 1,000 followers. A, 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 ready to make a difference against the law. That's pretty sad. You know, uh, it, it, over and over again, you know, we want to have trust. It's built on the premise that we're truthful, that we come forward. But there's no truth with you whatsoever. That's why that's important to you, to look up here and, and look at the old adage that our moms taught us, liar, liar, pants on fire. Mm. No one should ever listen to you and give you credibility. It's sad. It's sad that th we have come. In fact, I want to quote the chairman's very words. This is a real sad state. <laughs> All right. Well, here we hear Mr. Gosar really going after after Cohen, and he's really telling him about his worldview, right? So you try to say that people will call you at three o'clock in the morning. They wouldn't call you. Not at all. Who is he talking about here? Right. Who exactly is he talking about? And then he just goes on to attack him for a while. You know, you don't know truth from falsehood. And then Cohen says, are you talking about me or the president? He says, stop. This is my time. When I ask you for a question, I'll ask you for an answer. And he gets like really confrontational, really blaming, you know, about him uh, in this. And, you know, they go back and forth. No, it's not. Yes, it is. No, it's not. And then we get into really where Mr. Gosar starts to go into and talk about some of these phrasing of his ideas and his reality and how he starts to think about things. So he says things like, I gotta tell you. Okay, now this is a little bit of a persuasive phrase, right? I gotta tell you. And as he's saying that, he's going into this kind of storybook thing where he's saying, okay, now I'm going to tell you something that's really significant. I got to tell you this. It's implying, you know, got to, it's implying there's a necessity for him to do that as well. And he says, America's watching you. Okay. And again, that's very unspecified America. What, what does it mean? America's watching you. Who are we talking about? America's watching you. And then he says, I've been getting texts. America's watching you because I've been getting texts and they say that you're a pathological liar 
And as he's talking about this, of course, in in his world, in Mr. Gosar's world, you know, the fact that he's been getting texts asking why we would have on the stand or on the uh, in, in the court hearing someone who's a pathological liar. Well, that means that America in the whole is watching. He doesn't consider that there might be, you know, a bias here. And, you know, then he goes into this thing about trust and he says things like over and over again. We want to have trust. Just think about that phrase, right? Over and over again, we want to have trust. What does that mean? Over and over. So what he's saying is, hey, this is something that's occurring through time. But who is he talking about? We. We want to have trust. We want to have truth. But there's no truth with you ever. Yeah, this is a really fascinating question and answer here. Like I said at the beginning, the Republicans' tactic here is to badger him until the point that he can explode and become no longer sympathetic. And so if that means, you know, attacking him as a person, liar, liar, pants on fire, that sort of thing, uh, it's going to work because everybody knows that Cohen has a temper. That's one of his defining characteristics um, for many years now has been that uh, Cohen was notorious for exploding at people and threatening and being a very mean and vicious person. They know that going into this hearing and they're trying to really bring that out. And he does it here. You can hear him, you know, Cohen say a lot of really sarcastic and snide replies. And, you know, it doesn't really make him look like a very apologetic and very, you know, nice guy that's just trying to come and confess his, his sins. And not only that, but you can see exactly how defensive he gets when he's attacked and he said that you're here for a book deal. It's all about you. You're here to get off really easy on your sentence. Um, Isn't that why you're here? Isn't this going to help? And he comes back and he's really, you know, being sarcastic. And he's like, well, if there's anything you all can do about this, I would appreciate it. And, And it's just it doesn't look good. It makes him look unsympathetic, and you can see exactly how defensive Cohen is at that moment um, that he might not even believe it himself. Uh, and so I really find that as a little bit of a, a little bit of a tell there that you know maybe he is in it for a little bit of himself here. That doesn't mean that he's lying. That's the connection that I think fails to you know, break through here. He may be in it to get off lighter. He may be in it um, to get his book deal. But that doesn't mean that what he's saying is a lie. But the Republicans tactic here is to connect those two. And I think they actually, you know, they have a couple of shining moments. Yeah. And really to make him just look completely as uncredible as possible. So in the video of this, they have this picture of Michael Cohen not looking his best. And then it just says the words, liar, liar, pants on fire. And so we have, again, the rhyming, right, that sticks in people's mind. And it's that old childhood saying. And, you know, Mr. Gosar, you know, says it here again. And he goes back to this is what you're in it. This, these are your motivations. Now, throughout this hearing, Cohen repeatedly says that he is not going to say under in that committee that he won't pursue a book deal. He won't pursue this deal. He won't pursue this. And actually, we're going to hear this again here in the questioning that Virginia Fox does of Mr. Cohen. And 
she's really going to be stacking the deck. So the thing you want to pay attention to in her questioning of him is how she takes these ideas, stacks them on top of each other in order to make a point. Now, we've heard this tactic, you know, multiple times before um, in previous episodes. For example, some of our episodes on Ted Cruz, he does this a lot in being able to take arguments and saying, okay, this is true, this is true, this is true, this is true, and then implying there's an ending to that. So let's go ahead and take a listen to Virginia Fox's questioning. According to federal prosecutors in the Southern District of New York, you also lied to banks to get loans. The prosecutors wrote, quote, to secure loans, Cohen falsely understated the amount of debt he was carrying and omitted information for his personal financial statements to induce a bank to lend based on incomplete information, end quote. Is that correct? That's correct. You lied on financial documents. So you lied to financial institutions in order to secure loans. So we've established that you lie on your taxes, you lie to banks, and you have been convicted of lying to Congress. It seems to me that there's not much that you won't lie about when you stand to gain from it. In fact, the prosecutors for the Southern District of New York noted that each of your crimes, quote, bear common sense of characteristics which each involving deception and being motivated by your personal greed and ambition. Is your appearance here today motivated by your desire to remain in the spotlight for your personal benefit? No, ma'am. You have sought out ways to rehabilitate your image from tax evader, bank swindler, and all-around liar to an honorable, truthful man by appearing before cable news. I'm concerned you could be using your story and this congressional platform for your personal benefit, such as a desire to make money from book deals. So can you commit under oath that you have not and will not pursue a book or movie deal based on your experiences working for the president? No. You cannot commit to making I, money off of a book or movie deal based on your work. No. What I just what, there's two parts to your question. The first part of your question, you asked me whether or not I had spoken to people regarding a possible book deal, and I have, and I've spoken to people who have sought me out regarding a movie deal. No, I didn't ask you if you spoke to anybody. I said, can you commit? under oath that you will not, that you have not and will not pursue a book deal? And I would not do that, no. Okay. Can you commit under oath that you will not pursue opportunities to provide commentary for a major news network based on your experiences working for the president? No. Can you commit under oath that you will not pursue political office in the state of New York? No. So you don't commit to... Uh, changing your ways, basically, because you want to continue to use your background as a liar, a cheater, a convicted liar to make money. That's what you want to do. And that's going to get me a book deal and a movie deal and television and, and, a, and a spot on television? I, I don't think so. Well, it appears that it will. I yield my remainder of my time, Mr. Chairman. Yeah, so here we've got even more of that right there. So she is trying to get Cohen to be rattled and 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 say all of these things about his character and trying to get him sort of uh, off his his sympathetic mark. 
But what you see here, though, is she's doing it in a way that sort of plants those little seeds of doubt in the viewer's mind as well. So you're watching this and you're hearing all of these, you know, possible scenarios that, you know, could be in the world that uh, Cohen is just out for himself. Like the book deal, the movie deal, the television deal, all this stuff. And she asks him this very weird question, like, can you commit to not pursuing any sort of book or movie deal, which I don't know about you, but can, would anybody say no to that ever? Um, it, it's sort of, uh, it's very easily teed up to, you know, prompt this questioning in the listener's head. But then also it's an easy question because she knows what the answer is going to be because I don't think anybody would say no uh, or w- would say yes and commit never to take a book or movie deal on anything in their life. Um, this it, It's sort of this, uh, this questioning that's deceptively uh, misleading. Uh, deceptively misleading. It, it's this line of questioning that's, you know, very deceptive and misleading. Yeah, and we hear here stacking the deck. She's stacking the deck. She says, so you lie on your taxes. You lie on financial documents. And he says, that's correct, right? You lie, you lie, you lie. It seems to me there's not much you won't lie about. So she's already saying, hey, we can't believe you in anything you say. And of course, once you erode that trust, once you erode that belief in someone, well, then effectively it's not just them analyzing the evidence of what he says but it's also about character and dismissing uh, any of the character of what the person represents as well and she says it again with that you know book deal thing which by the way it's not just her saying this there were probably i think three or four um, of the republicans on the committee who were asking cohen the exact same question will you commit to not pursuing a book deal and then he says no And so Virginia Fox says, you know, can you commit under oath that this? Can you commit under oath that you won't do this? Can you commit under oath that you won't do this? And she knows that he's going to say no. Okay. And again, this is a a tactic that we've heard before. You know, Ted Cruz did it in the Facebook hearings that we uh, did an episode on. This is a tactic that you've heard before. So she knows that he's going to say no. And then after he says no, 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 she says so. You won't commit to changing your ways. And that means that, okay, so we have a cause effect and then what we call a complex equivalence, which means there's a meaning being added to something. So that means that you will use your background as a convicted cheater and a liar to make money. That's what you want to do. Okay, so she's making it all about the book deal and the TV deal and all of, hey, this is why he's here. And again, we're going back to Cohen's motives. We're going back to what you know, he's doing, which is, you know, an interesting way of, of framing it. Okay. So that, that's, that's what we heard through this clip. All right. So in this next clip, we're going to be listening to Mark Meadows and Meadows is going to be questioning Mr. Cohen. He's clearly, you know, very upset with Mr. Cohen's assertion that president Trump is a racist. Now, later on in this hearing, uh, there's a part in which we're not actually going to cover. And it's a part in which, um, Mr. Meadows is kind of sort of thinking that he's being accused of being a racist. So you can actually, you know, listen to that and he really objects to it quite a lot. There's kind of a, you know, kumbaya thing between, you know, Mark Meadows and, uh, you know, the chairman. Um, 
you know, Elijah Cummings, where they actually, you know, go back and forth and say how good friends they are. So there's a little bit of something that, that happens with this, you know, further on in this hearing with regard to race. But in this particular part, we're going to be hearing Mark Meadows really take issue with that assertion that the president is racist. And we're going to be hearing some ideas of really that kind of identity politics of saying, you know, I believe this because of who I am. Um, so let's go ahead and take a listen to this one and uh, really get into another person who is, you know, quite frustrated with Mr. Cohen. Mr. Beddows. Mr. Cohen, uh, do you know Lynn Patton? I'm, I'm right here. Oh, yes, sir. Do you know Lynn Patton? Yes, I do. Uh, I, I asked Lynn to come today in her personal capacity uh, to actually shed some light. H how long have you known Ms. Patton? I'm responsible for Lynn Patton joining the Trump Organization and the job that she currently holds. Well, uh, that's, I'm glad you acknowledge that because you made some very uh, demeaning comments about the, the president that Ms. Patton doesn't agree with. In fact, it has to do with your claim of racism. She says that as a daughter of a man born in Birmingham, Alabama, that there is no way that she would work for, a, for a, an individual who was racist. How do you reconcile the two of those, Mr. As neither should I as the son of a Holocaust survivor. But, Mr. Cohen, I guess what I'm saying is, is I've talked to, to the president over 300 times. I've not heard one time a racist comment out of out of his mouth in private. So how do you reconcile it? Do you have proof of those conversations? I would ask you to Do you ask have tape recordings of those conversations? No, sir. Well, you've taped everybody else. That's, Why wouldn't you have a tape? That's also not true, sir. That's not true. You haven't taped anybody? I, I have taped individuals. How many times have you taped individuals? Maybe 100 times over 10 years. Is that a low estimate? Because I've, I've heard it's over 200 times. No, I don't think. I think it's approximately about 100 from what I recall. But I would ask so you, why would, you ask me a question, you, sir. Do you have so proof? Here's, do you have proof, I yes do. or no? I do. Oh, where's the proof? Ask Ms. Patton how many people who are black are executives at the Mi Trump Organization. Mi Mr. And the Cohen, answer is Mr. zero. Mr. Cohen, we can go through this. Here's, I, would ask you ask you, me? I would ask unanimous consent that her entire statement be put in the record. Without objection. All right, let me go on a little bit further. Did you collect... $1.2 million or so from Novartis. I did. For access to the Trump administration? No, sir. Why did you collect it? Because they came to me based upon my knowledge of the enigma, Donald Trump, what he thinks. So they paid. Did, uh, sir, please let me finish. No, did they pay you $1.2 million dollars to yes. give them advice? Yes, they did. They, a multi billion dollar conglomerate, came to me looking for information, not something that's unusual here in D.C., looking for information, and they believed that I had a value. So how many times did you meet with them? was the insight that I was capable of offering them, how many and they times, were willing to pay. How many times did you meet with them? For $1.2 million, how many times did you meet with them? I provided them with both in person as well as telephone access whenever they needed. How many times? Yes, sir. That's a question, I, Mr. I Cohen. I don't recall, sir. So did you ever talk yeah, to them? I spoke to them on several occasions, yes. How many? Uh, six times. Six times. Wow. $200,000 a call. Sir, I also would like to, right, I also would like I, to bring to your attention the contract. This is my five minutes, Mr. Cohen, not yours. Did you get money from the Bank of Kazakhstan? 
It's not a bank of Kazakhstan. It's called BTA. BTA Bank, Kazakhstan, BTA Bank. Did you get money from them? I did. So here's Mark Meadows with his explosive questioning. And this is him badgering and badgering, sort of pushing him and pushing him. You can hear from the beginning that Cohen's really deferential and, you know, very calm. And as he pushes, as he pushes, as he pushes, Cohen starts getting really impatient. And then it sort of builds into this crescendo where now they're like in a shouting match over each other by the end of it. And so it's really interesting here, you know, the playing of Cohen trying to keep his composure and trying to uh, maintain sympathy and talking about how, you know, he's a son of a Holocaust survivor, which is a very funny moment right there because uh, Meadows has no idea what to say back to that <laughs> and just pauses uh, for a little comic relief there. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's a really great moment because uh, Cohen's able to say something that throws the congressperson off his feet and sort of reclaims a little bit of the legitimacy of his testimony. Yeah. And really Meadows is going into this idea of, okay, how can you possibly claim that the president is a racist? You know, did you record him? You recorded everyone else, but not Donald Trump. And I really like this thing that he says, you know, I've talked to the president over 300 times and never have <laughs> once said him said anything racist. I mean, it's like, first of all, you know, why does your personal experience actually have anything to do with, you know, whether the man has, you know, certain beliefs, you know, in him or not? Right. That's number one. And number two, 300 times. Where did we get that figure? It's like before he had this questioning, he like looked up his call log on his on his phone. He's like, hey, Siri, <laughs> how many times have I talked to you know, individual one, and then it came up with a list. And, you know, uh, how how did he actually come up with this? It was was just really funny. And then, you know, we hear this moment at the end here where um, Meadows is asking him about this consulting that he did and, you know, how he got 1.2 million. And, you know, Cohen is forced to admit, okay, wait, it was about six calls or six meetings, you know, one, one of the two and how he was basically paid 200 grand, you know, per call for his information. And this is really, you know, when you get into Cohen's motives for doing this whole thing, you know, it's like, okay, this is Cohen here saying, Hey, here's what I'm worth. This is the price that the free market is willing to pay for me. You know, and so, no, I'm not going to rule out a book deal. I'm not going to rule out a TV show. I'm not going to rule out consulting, you know, because he's being paid this substantial amount of money, you know, for information. And the the subtext there is, wait, I might have more information, more things that I'm not actually saying here under this kind of explosive questioning. Now, in this next clip here, we're going to be listening to the summation of Cohen's message for Trump. And this is really what Cohen wants to say kind of in summary to, you know, plead his case to say, I've said all of this. Now I'm going to plead, you know, my case um, about it. And, you know, again, just like his opening statement, the closing statement is going to be planned and and rehearsed also. And what is it that he wants to communicate? Think now how much we know about Michael Cohen's motives, what he's been accused of. Um, how he has presented himself, you know, now do you believe that what he's saying is credible? Does it fit into his overall narrative? Does it, you know, match? Is it congruent? Is it aligned? Is it something that is actually credible or believable? So let's go ahead and listen to this um, Cohen's message for President Trump here at the end. Do you have anything you'd like to say? 
Y yes, yes, Mr. Chairman, I would. Mm -hmm. um, I have some closing remarks I would like to say myself. Is this an appropriate time? You can do it now. Thank you. So first I want to thank you, Chairman, because I appreciate the opportunity to share some final thoughts. I have acknowledged I have made my own mistakes and I have owned up to them publicly and under oath. But silence and complicity in the face of the daily destruction of our basic norms and civility to one another will not be one of them. I did things and I acted improperly, at times at Mr. Trump's behest. I blindly followed his demands. My loyalty to Mr. Trump has cost me everything. My family's happiness, friendships, my law license, my company, my livelihood, my honor, my reputation, and soon my freedom. And I will not sit back, say nothing, and allow him to do the same to the country. Indeed, given my experience working for Mr. Trump, I fear that if he loses the election in 2020, that there will never be a peaceful transition of power. And this is why I agreed to appear before you today. In closing, I'd like to say directly to the President, we honor our veterans even in the rain. You tell the truth even when it doesn't aggrandize you. You respect the law and our incredible law enforcement agents. You don't villainize them. You don't disparage generals, gold star families, prisoners of war, and other heroes who had the courage to fight for this country. You don't attack the media and those who question what you don't like or what you don't want them to say. And you take responsibility for your own dirty deeds. You don't use your power of your bully pulpit to destroy the credibility of those who speak out against you. You don't separate families from one another or demonize those looking to America for a better life. You don't vilify people based on the God they pray to, and you don't cuddle up to our adversaries at the expense of our allies. And finally, you don't shut down the government before Christmas and New Year's just to simply appease your base. This behavior is churlish, it denigrates the office of the president, and it's simply un-American. And it's not you. So to those who support the president and his rhetoric, and his rhetoric as I once did, I pray the country doesn't make the same mistakes that I have made or pay the heavy price that my family and I are paying. And I thank you very much for this additional time, Chairman. Now, this is an interesting one, especially hearing what he had actually said at the beginning. So if you remember, you know, back at the beginning when he was starting off, you know, his speech, he was talking much about what he had lost, but then he was also going through to talk about Mr. Trump. He was talking about how ashamed he was. But his real message is here, you know, trying to um, really hurt, you know, Donald Trump and really say how, how Donald Trump has actually, you know, hurt him. And he continues with that theme, you know, this time really leaning on going after, you know, the president. And perhaps he knew that throughout this he wouldn't really come out looking like a good guy. But he talks about how it's cost him everything, right? His family's happiness. OK, that's an interesting thing, you know, to be cost happiness you know it's non it's uh not something that can really necessarily be affected honor reputation freedom 
All right. He talks about everything he's lost. And what he's saying here is he's saying, hey, I've lost everything. And so that's why you should believe me, because I'm at the lowest of the low. And, you know, again, as we've talked about here, it really doesn't make a whole lot of sense to, you know, completely believe that because of how he still has that, you know, angry, unsympathetic, you know, part of him. He clearly has two different sides to, you know, his persona, but he's really trying to paint himself as being this person who is kind of falling on the sword in a way. And he gets into and he talks about the the president. He says, you know, this is what has happened. And then he says, you know, I'd like to say directly to the president, right? You don't do this. You don't disparage generals. You don't disparage gold star families. You don't disparage the media. You don't separate families. And he keeps with this theme of all of the things that he is accusing the president of doing. And what this really is, is that he's saying things that he thinks that people sympathetic to his message will agree with. Obviously, not everyone is going to agree, even with the things that he's saying, much less him saying them. But he recognizes that some people will automatically just believe in that type of thing in general. You know, wait, that president saying bad things about generals and gold star families, that was bad. And so now because Cohen is also saying it's bad, he's trying to create a rapport or a sense of sameness. You don't disparage the media. Again, who is going to believe that? Is it going to be people who are likely to support the president, like his base? Likely not. It's going to be people who actually believe or watch I mean, networks like CNN, okay? And when they're you know watching those networks and when they you know believe that they should be on the air or they even believe in their right you know to be on the air, they say, well, yeah, Cohen's got a got a point here, and so it makes him more believable. And what is his ultimate aim here? You know, I, I do think he's going for the book deal. You know, I do think he's going for the consulting, you know, aspect of it. Because why else does he do all of this to really make himself look, um, look, look better? You know, in comparison, you know, to the president. That that's his idea here. I think. Yeah, this is really you know some verbal techniques is clearly rehearsed. He's teed this whole speech up to be really dramatic, and um, you know maybe you can one might see that he's talking directly to the president that he actually wants to say these things to the president maybe but either way it's something that you know gets the listener to imagine as though cohen is standing up to the president and saying all of these really you know powerful courageous things when you know i don't know how you know courageous of a man cohen actually is but this right. makes him look courageous especially because he's using this intonation. You can almost imagine the confrontation between Cohen and Trump where he's, you know, maybe poking his finger into Trump's chest and saying, you don't do this, you don't do that, you don't do mm. that. This has cost me this, my this, my that, my this, my that. It's simply not American and it's not you. And that's what really struck me right there. Yeah, he's trying to be virtuous. Yeah, exactly. Um, and it's not you. So... I don't know what he's trying to say right there at the end, but, you know, maybe that is what makes it feel like, you know, this is um, speaking directly to Trump and actually what he wants to say to Donald Trump. And not only that, but it builds a little bit of sympathy with people who might like Donald Trump by saying it's not you. So giving him that sort of opening to be, you know, a better person. You're not this person. I know that you're better than this. You're you are a sympathetic, good person. 
you're not the person who does all these bad things. Right. And he's talking to him. And at the same point, he isn't talking to him, you know, because he knows that, you know, Donald Trump's not going to listen to all of this. If he actually did, well, I'm sure that he could get in contact with him and say this, you know, privately. No, the reason that he's doing it in front of the house like this is that he really wants for everyone to hear this. He wants it to be a public statement and he's doing almost a stage whisper type of thing. Like, hey, I'm saying this to the president, but I want for you to hear it. I want for you to hear my what I'm saying to him. And at the same time, I'm not saying it. You know, so, you know, might some of these things be true, some things that he has actually communicated to the president in the past? Sure. Right. But it's it's much more likely that what he really wants to do is to kind of vent, get some things off of his chest and at the same time, really make himself look like he is the judger of virtue. I mean, this is what he's doing. These are all all beliefs. These are all values. He's saying, hey, I believe in not um, disparaging the military. I believe in not you know, disparaging the media. I believe in not separating families as if he is this very, you know, very moral principle based guy. But we know that he's not just based on the fact that he has been lying, you know, for, for, for so often. And, you know, what is it that he's really trying to communicate here where I think it kind of gives mixed messages and it's almost like a movie where a character has different personas to them, has different parts that they play, kind of complex. You have to kind of figure it out. And guess what? That makes really good books. That makes really good TV. And, you know, he even is going to have a, uh, a sense of being able to appeal to the people who know that maybe he has something insider to say about the president. Right. And that's really the moral of this whole thing, right, is that we're all very complex people. Um, with lots of different facets to ourselves. And these issues are really complex and have lots of different, you know, tiny little moving parts. But, you know, really here it's the Republicans trying to paint everything as white and the Democrats trying to paint everything as black and people trying to make it one side. You're a liar. You tell the truth um, you, when really it's a lot more complex than that. And so, you know, really what I want to get across as we end this is that, you know, while it's to the Republicans' benefit to make it look one way and the Democrats to make it look the other way, it's really just as gray as as Michael Cohen's entire, entire career is. We don't, you know, we can't uh, get into the game where, you know, one group of people wants to say one thing and it's either this or it's that or it's this or it's that. Um, everything's a lot more complex than it than it seems. So whenever you hear someone say that it's either this way or it's that way or you're just that type of person, that's just not true. And that's maybe where we want to raise up some of our, you know, flags and antennas to say, you know what, maybe this person isn't being all that honest. And, you know, so maybe it's the Congress people who, you know, might not be all that honest in this scenario here. Exactly. So everyone, I think that's all the time we have for today. Um, thank you for listening to this episode. And remember that if you enjoy this episode and you enjoy this show, um, feel free to check out our other shows. So we've talked um, about some of the ones that you can refer back to. For example, the issue, the uh, episodes on the midterm victory speeches, those episodes uh, 21 and 22. Those are really uh, interesting. And if you really like the show, please remember to donate to the show. 
So if you scroll down in the show notes, there's that link to the Patreon page. It really, really helps us out. You can donate for as little as a cup of coffee each month. And just being able to support us in that way would really help. Um, you'll find the, the link there. And we look forward to seeing you next time. Please remember to follow us on Twitter and Facebook. And let us know your comments on the show, how you're enjoying it uh, so far. Also, please remember to rate and review us on iTunes. That can really help us as well. And we look forward to seeing you next time. Thank you.